Oh, what it is, what a pleasure it is to be in the house of the Lord today. And I love that song. That's one of my favorites. I'm so glad that I was once in darkness, but I've been set free by the love of God. Praise the Lord. Amen. And many of you have that testimony. I want to share with you, um, you, you by now realize that there's an elephant in the room. And we've been in that series now for now. This is the fourth week. And I've been tackling some difficult uh, subjects. And um, I'll get to that in just a second. But um, I want to assure you, because of what I'm about to cover here out in the sanctuary, our children's pastor writes curriculum that coincides with the sermons, typically anyway, that I preach. But she's had to kind of modify them a little bit. And today is one of those days as well. So today, don't be too fearful. She will be speaking to our children about the use of our bodies, how the, the way that God wants to use our bodies and how we care for our bodies and the use of our bodies. And you're going to see that I'm speaking about something relatable to that, but uh, a, a bit different. So when you parents are speaking to your little ones and you're saying to them, what did you talk about in church today? It will be slightly different than what I'm about to preach here. OK, I just wanted to put you to ease. You can take a nice deep breath. Uh, we are making sure that our children's ministry is being children friendly. Amen. Because last week, for sure, they needed children friendly. OK, so so uh, we're doing that again today. I want to show you one verse of scripture to begin this message. We'll start with this verse. It's uh, in the middle of quite a a lot of things that the Apostle Paul is saying to the man that he called his son in the faith. And I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. And here is what he says to Timothy. He's telling Timothy this. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now, I, I'm going to stop there and tell you that First and Second Timothy are letters from the Apostle Paul to this young pastor, Timothy, who is uh, pastoring a large church in the town of Ephesus. This was a church that had a lot going on, and Timothy was a very busy pastor. There is a history between the Apostle Paul and Timothy. As I just referred to uh, with you, Paul would often refer to Timothy in his letters in Scripture as his spiritual son. You see, in all likelihood, when Paul planted the church uh, in the area where Timothy was born and grew up, he met Timothy there. And he led Timothy in most in all likelihood, he led Timothy to Jesus Christ. It is very clear that Paul took Timothy under his wing. There was just something about this young man that this man who was a bit older, old enough to be his dad, really loved. And so he brought Timothy under his wing and he began to disciple him and teach him what it meant to be a Christian man. Along the way, Timothy expressed that he sensed that God was calling him out to go into a pastoral role, to become a pastor. He felt that tug on his heart. That thrilled Paul. Paul loved Timothy and he loved his family. And when you read, when, uh, whenever Paul is talking about Timothy or you read what he writes to him, you will see that for Paul, Timothy was, was like a son to him. And he had this strong affection toward him. And so Paul was writing to Timothy here instructions. And this section 
First Timothy chapter five. A lot of this section are are just a lot of instructions that Paul is giving to Timothy, a young pastor. It turned out that Paul was a man of authority over Timothy and other pastors throughout the world. That was his responsibility. And so he would write to not just Timothy, but other pastors and churches and say, these are uh, things that you need to tend to. This is how you need to live your life. And he would say to Timothy, and you can read these books in First and Second Timothy, this is how I want you to lead. This is the things, these are things you are to teach. These are things you are to do. And he is giving these instructions to Timothy, but then... Then in the middle of this is this this admonition from Timothy to Paul, where he says, now, Timothy, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now, for the most part. As I said, this the, Paul was telling telling Timothy how to lead and how to be a man of God. But then he throws this in. He urges Timothy to use a little wine. There's an elephant in the room. Aren't Christians supposed to abstain completely from alcohol? I will tell you that in many Christians' minds, that is exactly where um, we should be living and how we should be living. And there's that's that's. Part of the purpose of this message, you know that, again, I just mentioned this, uh, for the fourth uh, week now, we've been in this series called The Elephant in the Room, where I have sensed the Holy Spirit has challenged me to, to speak to our church about things that are at times controversial. We've been looking at the fact that uh, the teachings of Scripture and uh, things that Jesus said often had a way of making people squirm, making people feeling a little uneasy and uncomfortable. And so what I attempted to do in covering some very hard subject matter is to share with you what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says about these issues. And you'll recall that that's what I've been covering And I've I've said to you, I'm not here to defend the validity of the Bible being the word of God. I will let you decide for yourself if the Bible is God's word. I will tell you, I believe with every fiber in my being that the Bible is the word of God. Okay, I want you to know that. And but I'm not here to defend that. I'm here simply telling you what I find in scriptures, how it is taught in the word of God. And so. Let's look at this elephant in the room because it certainly uh, turns out that it is one. I've been attempting to help us better understand what the Bible teaches on subjects that divide Christians and divide our culture. And I'll have to tell you that I can't say this has been the most enjoyable series that I've ever preached. But I do feel like I'm being obedient to the, word, the, to the Lord and that this is a necessary thing for a pastor to do once in a while. Just because it's difficult and, and just because it's not always easily accepted by others, I still feel obligated under the Holy Spirit to teach difficult teachings in the Scripture. So what I will do is try to look at this elephant in the room. Is it a sin to drink alcohol? That's our question. So let's get right to it. Does the Bible prohibit Christians from drinking an alcoholic beverage? 
Didn't Jesus change water into real wine? Didn't he drink it? Didn't he also use it in instituting the Lord's Supper? And again, here is the Apostle Paul urging Timothy to stop drinking water, but to use a little wine for his stomach's sake. It seems that Timothy had a personal conviction against drinking alcohol. And in a moment, we're going to see that there's a large difference between a direct commandment of God and a personal conviction. There, there is a difference in this. And so we'll look at that in a, in a minute. But even, even though uh, Timothy had this conviction, Paul still, and he knew about this, uh, Paul still urged him, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. You see, the issue was that there were elements in the drinking water for Timothy. And you will know that purifying water was not a great technology in biblical times. Okay, they didn't even know what they were ingesting at times. And there were harmful microbes, more than likely, in the drinking water uh, when Timothy was pastoring. He had a personal conviction that said, I don't want to consume alcohol. But he kept getting sick because he was consuming water that had these microbes and would make him sick. And then that was difficult for him to be able to minister effectively. And so the Apostle Paul actually said to him, use wine for your stomach medicinally. Use it to to kill the microbes. And it is believed that the wine of that day had the ability to kill some of those microbes, at least to make the water a little more drinkable and to put it into a system to help them. So the harmful effects of the water wasn't making him so sick. I'm going to tell you, that there are examples of people in the New Testament and Old Testament of the Bible who uh, abstain from drinking alcoholic beverages altogether. One example in the Old Testament are the Nazarites, a man or a woman who made a special vow to separate themselves unto the Lord, were forbidden to use wine or strong drink while they were under that vow. And you can see Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, And you can see what that is about. And then the Rechabites lived as noteworthy examples of permanent abstinence from wine. They adhered strictly to a command of an ancestor named Jonadab to refrain from it altogether. You can read about them in Jeremiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 8. Honestly, though, the Bible, in the Bible... People who drank no alcohol whatsoever are the exception and not the rule. The truth is the vast majority of cultures and people we read about in the Bible were consumers, mostly of wine, but they also made uh, other alcoholic beverages. And Jesus did make water into real wine. That's very clear. If you'll remember in the first miracle that Jesus performed, the, the, um, the, the observation was made that normally when a wedding feast was being had, the, the best wine would be brought out first and then people would get um, tipsy. And then the owner would bring out the cheap wine, the box wine, I guess. I don't know. I don't know anything about wine. But anyway, we'd bring out the cheap stuff and then people would just drink that up. But the observation was made, you say the best wine to last. It's clearly wine. 
Okay, and I'm not I'm just telling you doing the best study that I can can do. When you look in the scriptures, Jesus, in fact, uh, created wine from that water and he used wine. Um, It's very clear to me. He did use wine for the Last Supper. And I have no doubt that Jesus and his disciples consumed wine at meals at times. Now. I also believe that it's pretty clear that the Apostle Paul and other early church leaders would drink alcoholic beverages. And I'll tell you, after a very thorough search and trying very hard to understand what the scriptures say, I cannot find a direct command from God that would prohibit a Christian from drinking an alcoholic beverage. The Bible does not say drinking a glass of wine or a beer is something that is sin. With a few exceptions, and those were the people that I mentioned to you, the Nazarites, the Rechabites, and others. I mentioned that it seems that Timothy had a personal conviction against drinking alcohol. And please, again, understand that a personal conviction is not the same as a direct command from God. It tends to be a, a, an urging by the Holy Spirit and a command by the Holy Spirit to an individual about their specific life. When I have convictions and I have convictions, I live by them as if they are the command of God because I feel led of the Spirit to do so. And here is why I believe, as I understand studying the Scriptures, why God gives personal convictions to people. It is because God knows our, our weaknesses. And there are things that I may need to stay away from that won't harm you. And so there are personal convictions that I have, and I believe Timothy had, for, because I believe the Holy Spirit said, Timothy, this is not for you. Now, to use, again, a little wine for the sake of medicinal purposes was a lot different than just drinking it as, as a habit. And so probably what happened, we're not, it's not elaborated on, probably what happened is that Timothy would probably uh, drink a tiny bit of wine to, to protect himself from being sick, to not be as sick. But I believe, I'm fairly convinced that Timothy would have held on to his personal conviction that for him, he should not consume alcoholic beverages. That's how his heart was at peace. And I believe he would have felt condemned if he came off of that personal conviction. And so I don't see a direct command in Scripture that prohibits a Christian from consuming an alcoholic beverage. And I I need you to understand that I don't see that in the Scriptures. If you find one, come right to me and tell me. Okay? Now, again, a personal conviction is an important thing. Now, what I will tell you is, although I don't see that, that command where Christ, uh, that prohibits a Christian from consuming any, any alcohol, there are many warnings and commands against drunkenness. Drunkenness, the Bible clearly defines as a sin. And may I say something to you about sin? There is no such thing as a little sin. All sin is destructive. All sin is a big deal. All sin will harm us. 
That's why when somebody talks to me about saying a little li- a little white lie, I, I don't want to be unkind. There's no such thing as a little white lie. A lie is a lie, and a lie is a sin. And all sin is a big deal. And all of it creates a problem and is an affront to a holy God. Jesus suffered and he died for every sin. And so whatever you would call or I would be tempted to call a little sin is not little to God. He died for that. He suffered because of that. And so all sin is a big deal. Please never allow yourself to minimize any sin. In your life, please do not allow yourself to excuse it away and say, well, it's not a big thing. Hear me say it to you. It's always a big thing, a big thing. If you sin against the living God, it's always a big deal. So, again, drunkenness is clearly identified as a sin in the scriptures. I'll start you off with Proverbs chapter 20, verse one, which says wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray from them is not wise. So for the sake of brevity, I'll tell you, I have several other Old Testament um, uh, references that I can share with you if you want uh, a little bit later, if you want to talk to me about. And it speaks of the dangers of getting drunk. But I want to take you to the New Testament now to Galatians chapter five. And I want you to look with me at verses 16 through 21. Paul has written this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to remind you that these verses are verses addressing Christians, believers, Christ followers. And they apply to all of us who consider ourselves to be the same, who love the Lord and who seriously want to live godly lives. There are a couple of things that I want to highlight for you in these verses and in this instruction These verses instruct Christians to live by the Spirit of God in order to avoid gratifying the desires of our flesh. That's how we are to live. Not like the rest of the world lives. Our values need to be kingdom-centered values. Values of the kingdom of heaven. We're not to live for ourselves. We belong to Jesus Christ. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, uh, we are told in 1 Corinthians. And let me say to you that these verses remind us of something that's very important for all Christians to understand. Our flesh desires what is contrary to God's Holy Spirit. We will make war. If we follow our flesh, we will do the contrary thing that God wants us to do. So starting in verse 19, there's this list of where fleshly desires will take us. And I read it to you, and you went through this. 
included in this list of sins that will shut people out of the kingdom of heaven is drunkenness. For anyone who wants to suggest to me that getting drunk isn't serious, I want to point them to this and other scriptures that clearly make it, make it very clear that it is a sin that God hates and that will, 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 um, it's identified as sin that's serious enough to keep people out of heaven. So while drinking alcohol is not identified as a sin, drunkenness is clearly identified in Scripture as a serious sin against the living God. So, Pastor, why do some Christians abstain? If it's not a command, why are there Christians who won't drink any alcohol? Why aren't they careful and why don't they uh, consume alcohol? We live in a world where the values associated with alcohol consumption is moderation and designated driver. You'll see that on TV commercial. Drink moderately, responsibly, and if you do drink, have a designated driver. That's our culture. And I will tell you that until very recently, our denomination made as part of its covenant membership requirements complete abstinence, meaning we would would make a promise to not drink any alcoholic beverages whatsoever in order to become a, uh, a covenant member of the Wesleyan Church, except for medicinal purposes. In simple terms, uh, there, was a, there was a requirement in our denomination that members would agree not to traffic in or drink any alcoholic beverages whatsoever. Why? If there's not a command against it, why would our denomination have made such a statement or required such a thing for our members? Well, please bear in mind a couple of things. Our denomination goes back a few hundred years, okay? We go back a ways. And so when this was originally put in place, it was a long time ago. I want you to, I I think that there's a, a, a really good position paper on our denominational website that that does a good job explaining why it was ever instituted in the first place. And I just want to read a little excerpt. It should come up on the on the screens for you. This commitment is really rooted in our commitment to women and their well-being on one hand and a life of freedom from intentional sin on the other. In the earliest days of our movement, Wesleyans were focused on the poor. We were focused on leading people to Christ, shaping people in Christ-like virtue and behavior, and freeing people from addictions and sinful habits. Alcoholism was a difficult disease to battle. Before the advent of Alcoholics Anonymous, even many medical physicians believed it to be an incurable and fatal condition. It was also well known that alcoholic husbands were much more likely to abuse their wives. Wesleyan saw the bondage to the habitual sin of what we now call alcoholism and to the habitual sin of spousal abuse as a connected issue. When drunks were converted, they were counseled to quit drinking. But eventually, if they lived in close connection to Wesleyans who drank, they fell back into drinking through socializing with faithful Christians. Easy solution, none of us will drink. That is why the denomination had that prohibition. Now, I will tell you that what has happened is the denomination changed its position a bit. And the change is this. They have moved to a place 
um, as a dom- denomination that any person who testifies to heaven being born again and any person who is subsequently baptized and, and is in the kingdom of God should be allowed to join our church as members. That is the position of the denomination now. And as members, they have all the rights of voting and privileges that any uh, other members have. So as of this past summer, uh, the, the, uh, the prohibition, the promise to not drink any alcohol at all has been removed except if you are an elected, uh, in an elected place of leadership. That is where they have made the shift. And those people will agree not to consume alcoholic beverages. So I've said a lot. But let me reiterate to you a couple of things and summarize some of the things I've said. And then I have to put a kind of wrap up on this for you. The Bible does not teach that people should abstain from drinking alcoholic beverages. As far as I can see, there is no command for that. Jesus did turn water into real wine. He used real wine when he instituted the Lord's Supper. He and his disciples drank, as did the early church leaders. Drinking an alcoholic beverage is never identified as a sin. Drunkenness definitely is. That is the best understanding of what I have, uh, uh, that I have of what appears in this book and what is taught in this book. And I hope that I have articulated that clearly enough to you that you, I, I have done a good enough job to say this is what I have found after studying. Now in Corinthians, first, Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, Paul gave an instruction to some that he said, uh, uh, I'm sorry, he gave an instruction to the church there and he told them that this instruction was from him, not the Lord. And he urged them and he instructed them on the basis of the fact that he was their spiritual leader. And in fact, he put it in language of a command that came from him, not God. He said, I, not God, give you this command. I need you to hear me say, I'm not standing up here commanding you at all. But as your pastor, I will always urge you to avoid drinking alcohol altogether. And I am one of those Christians who has a personal conviction to avoid it. And I want to tell you why I have that conviction. And I want to share personally why I, as your pastor, will always urge you to avoid it. There's no denying, my friends, the, that the abuse of alcohol has ruined more lives than every other drug in the world put together combined. We can't calculate the damage that the abuse of alcohol has brought upon people. We can't even uh, fully know it all because a lot of what has been done has been done in secret and not reported to us. Anybody with access to the Internet can easily find horrifying statistics related to alcohol abuse. It's an ugly read. Horrible things happen. What is very clear to me is that alcohol has been the fuel of obscene numbers of unnecessary deaths, horrible crimes, abuses that are terrible, emotional damage, and financial losses. And I won't throw out all those stats at you today because I don't think I need to. If you want to find them, it's not hard. Just look up alcohol abuse 
and you'll see them. But I will give you this. One in eight people, one in eight, one in eight people who take their very first drink of alcohol will end up as an alcoholic one day. That's a huge number. One in eight people, this says, has a predisposition to the disease, that, and that's how it's identified these days, of alcoholism. One in eight. If you happen to grow, uh, if you happen to come from a family with a history of addiction, it doubles your chances of becoming addicted yourself. And that, to me, is astounding. I was a little tempted to grab eight people and have them stand in front of you and say, one of these, if after they've taken their first drink, will become an alcoholic and have a ruined life. I don't know one alcoholic who's proud to be one. I don't know one alcoholic whose life doesn't end up going down the toilet. And so I'm sharing that with you because it runs deeply within me in making this or having this conviction. So the thing is, in biblical cultures, the beverage choices were extremely limited. You heard me talk about Timothy's problem. He couldn't drink the water all the time because the water wasn't healthy. We have so many more options. And I don't see a necessity. I'm talking to me personally. I don't see a necessity for alcohol for me. Now, I'll let you decide what it's going to be for you. But as far as I can look at this, for me, drinking alcohol would definitely fall under the category of gratifying my flesh. And I don't want to do that. It would for me. And again, it may not for you. If drunkenness is a sin, and it is, why do I put something in my body that can definitely make me drunk? I have yet to have somebody help me understand fully what drunk really means. Where, at what point does somebody get drunk? Is it staggering and falling down? Is it a loss of your inhibitions? Is it being buzzed? I don't know what drunk really means. I'm not being smart. I don't know. I do. I, I ask the question, is it what Proverbs describes to us from Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35? Who has well? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, Lying on the top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Is that drunk or is it something else? I'm not being facetious here. I honestly don't know at what point I cross over into sinning against the Lord. And so that is why I wouldn't want to drink something that has the power to put me there or enslave me. I don't. For me, it's why I don't drink alcoholic beverages. Some, including Wesleyan leaders, would say that my position unnecessarily puts a distance between myself and people that I say I want to minister to. The fact that I don't have a beer with somebody, the fact that I won't sit down and drink a glass of wine with somebody, 
then puts a wall between us and a barrier, and it makes them uncomfortable. But my hope is you will understand my heart. My hope is that as a Christian, at least in, in this church, you'll understand why I have a personal conviction against it. I try very, very hard not to preach or teach something that isn't biblical. And that is why I was very careful to outline what I see in the scriptures about the cons- consumption of alcohol. But I also do not want to fail to warn you when it is appropriate to do so as your pastor. If you drink a glass of wine or you drink a beer and I see it, I'm not going to love or respect you any less than I love and respect you right now. You need to know that. However, if I see you drunk and you're my brother and my sister and you're part of this church, I am going to work to urge you to repent and get that right with God because that's a sin. Now, please know, and I know some of you probably have already connected these dots. You know my story well enough to know that I have a bias. I do come from a, an addicted family and a family with a history of addiction. My mother was both an alcoholic and a drug addict. So I suffered at the hands of that. And it was very unpleasant. I'm telling you from experience as a child and a teenager, dealing with my mother's drunkenness, dealing with my mother's addictions was horrible. There were times when that was fuel for her to physically abuse me and to do and say things that I'm not going to describe to you today. And so I know that I come to you with a personal story and a personal experience that says I don't understand why I would need to consume alcohol and become like that. I never want to be like that. And as I was growing up, I remember very clearly saying to myself, God helping me, I'll never do this to my family. God helping me, I'll never be like this. It was embarrassing and difficult. So please look at me and understand that I, as your pastor, am not condemning anybody. If you should drink a glass of wine or a beer, that is between you and the Lord, and I don't see a command against that. Again, if I see you drunk because I love you, I'm coming to you and I'm going to confront that and talk to you about that because I love you and I don't want you to sin against the Lord. But also know that because of my own personal feelings and convictions, I have a right as your pastor to urge you, please don't drink. (laughs) Don't put yourself in danger. Please don't get in, in that situation. So please don't be mad at me. Because I have a personal conviction that I am going to urge you to, to uh, consider. Pray about this today. Can I just tell you, again, this is not the kind of message I usually like to preach. This isn't my favorite subject matter. But it, I felt like at least once you needed to know where I come from, where the Bible comes from, why it is that certain believers don't. Uh, don't consume alcohol. I just wanted you to understand where we are coming from and have a little love and patience for us and don't call us prudes. And those of you who abstain, you need to hear me say this to you. You are not spiritually superior to somebody who consumes alcohol. You're not. Neither am I. 
I don't because of my conscience. I don't because of conviction. But it doesn't make me spiritually uh, superior to you if you do. And I will never look down my nose at you. That's my commitment to you as your brother in Christ. I want to help you grow. I love you. And one more time before I let you go, I strongly urge you, just don't drink any alcohol. That's, that's your pastor being your pastor to you. Avoid it altogether. Avoid the trouble. Avoid the chance of sinning against the Lord. Don't, don't do it. That's what I'm going to say to you as your pastor. And when you see me tomorrow, I'll say the same thing. And when you see me in a week from now, I'll urge you the same way. And if you have questions or you need to talk to me about it, or if you're really mad at me right now, because this series, I think, is making some of you pretty mad at me. But if you're really mad at me, I'm just asking you, give me a chance. Talk to me, okay? Love me anyway, because I love you. And I thank the Lord for the privilege of preaching to this congregation. You have listened intently. Some of you have been sitting here going, man, I can't believe this guy. But I, I love you for it, and I appreciate you letting me share from the Word of God to you. And... Ask me questions anytime I'm here for you.